you know, I'm having conversations with friends and family where they're sort of checking in to say, you know, how's it going? Have you got a job yet? Have you heard from anyone? Which ends up adding to the pressure, I guess, because then it forces you to say, no, I still haven't heard from anyone. You know, I still haven't got a job. Job hunting can be challenging at the best of times. For those of us who are motivated by ticking off to-do lists and by keeping up a routine, suddenly finding yourself adrift without a job can be overwhelming. I'm Sabina Reid and I'm a psychologist who has worked with individuals and organisations for over 25 years. I've seen stress in all its forms and I know the idea of looking after not just your physical but your emotional well-being at times like this is hard. One thing this global pandemic has taught us is that we're not alone and many of the challenges we face and the way we respond are universal. Proudly brought to you by Seek, this is Seek Your Mind, where five job hunters have written in for advice on how to deal with the things they're finding difficult during this period. Today, I'm joined by meditation and yoga teacher Tamblin Lord to talk through how mindfulness can have an impact even when you think it's impossible to do. He's even created a couple of specific exercises to help during the job hunt, which we've included as bonus episodes. But first, let's meet Lauren in Melbourne. Dear Seek, I'd been thinking about a career move at the start of the year, so when I was made redundant in June, I assumed it would be a quick transition to a new role. I was enthusiastic to begin and asked everyone for help and input. Now I'm exhausted by it and have got so much advice from all directions. I'm totally confused and uncertain about so many things. I've been trying to look after my well-being and I actually feel physically healthier now than before lockdown. The flip side is I couldn't get the mortgage I'd planned for, so I'm still living with my family. I'm really lucky to have them, but I worry about appearing to be a freeloader and lockdown with five of us in the house has been emotionally tough. Add to that, friends and family are asking when I'll take a job. How can I help them understand no one's actually offered me any job? Yours, lost for words. I want to start at the beginning of what you said, Lauren, and that's that you've been thinking about a career change already. Yeah, I think, I don't know whether it's as I'm getting a little bit older, but initially I sort of earlier this year started to think, you know, am I doing what? I really want to be doing and I think I was starting to feel like I wasn't so fulfilled in what I was doing and I felt like I wanted to do something that was making a little bit more of a difference to the world and I I didn't really know what that looked like but of course I wasn't in any rush because I was pretty realistic with the fact that COVID and you know all that kind of stuff was happening I was hoping to get a mortgage so I wasn't you know rushing to make any rash decisions about my my job but then I was obviously made redundant in June and it sort of sped the process up a little bit for me. Mm-hmm. So what's happened to that value, to that dream and to that need? It's hard when you're looking for a job and you're not getting anywhere with it because you certainly have this dream of everything that you thought you wanted and what would be fulfilling and and then you sort of get into it. It's been how many months, almost four months or something, and you start to feel a little bit exhausted by it and a little bit, I guess, demotivated that you're not hearing back from people. You start to go, well, what am I going to do? Do I just take the first job that pops up because, you know, beggars can't be choosers and I'm still living at home, I'm, everyone else is still working? And I've definitely had those periods where I've felt really, really flat and sort of started to think, well, maybe this is not the time to shoot for what I really want. Maybe this isn't the time to be aiming for that dream. 
maybe at the moment you've just got to find something that works and then you can, you know, think about that later down the track. Okay, but you've just said some important things, Lauren, and the reason why I wanted to tap into the dream is not to dangle a carrot that feels out of reach and add any more salt to the wound so much as to explore the clarity that you've got around the messaging that you're sharing in your applications, on phone calls, and even in your own mind, perhaps even with with family and friends too, about what it is that you're wanting to do. So I wondered if there was some disconnect internally for you around what you were looking for and actually what you were looking for. Yeah, I guess so. And I think I wonder if that's because of being at home and I guess there's that sort of dual feeling of, well, you know, this is what I would love to be doing. But then the reality of, you know, I'm a grown person living at home with my parents and so there's that guilt associated with I'm not working so you know, everybody else is, it's like, it's almost like I mentioned in my, my letter about feeling as though you're a freeloader and wanting to be out there in a workforce. Mm. And when we're split down the middle, um, chances are that we're conveying that a somewhat confused perspective to any stakeholder, any employer, mm. any recruiter. So, I want to focus on this because I think it's important to decide. It doesn't actually matter which way you go here. You could say at this juncture, I'm going to continue to look for something that creates more meaning and purpose as I initially recognised and identified at the beginning of the year. Or at this juncture, I recognise that there's a lot of pressures and limitations and I'm living at home and so I will find gainful employment. But I think while you're sitting in this space within your own mind, within your own self of I want to create purpose, I don't want to be a freeloader, I want to do something meaningful, I have to pay a mortgage. There's an internal confusion that I imagine is being conveyed at some level externally. Yeah, definitely. It adds to that feeling of feeling quite overwhelmed. You you know, you get into conversations with people and you almost don't know what to say. You know, I'm having conversations with friends and family where they're sort of checking in to say, you know, how's it going? Have you got a job yet? Have you heard from anyone? Which ends up adding to the pressure, I guess, because then it forces you to say, no, I still haven't heard from anyone. You know, I still haven't got a job. So I guess you feel bad about that. But then I'm almost trying to say like, it's okay that you asked me that. Don't worry. So it's almost like you're making other people feel better about the fact they ask you a question that had a negative response and then just get into quite a <laughs> quite a negative headspace. It doesn't help the process because then you're sitting down to write applications and doing, you know, key selection criteria and cover letters where you're trying to convey your best self to these potential employers when you're not necessarily feeling so crash hot about <laughs> what's going on or yourself or what you have to offer. One thing we know helps people experiencing the same emotions as Lauren is to practice mindfulness. The main point I'd like people to take away from listening today is that mindfulness is not the exclusive domain of dedicated practitioners. Anyone can do it. It's not about sitting on top of a mountain in silence for months. It's a tool we can all use every day. So, Tamblin Lord, great to um, chat to you today. Of course, job hunting can feel uh, like you're drowning, hmm. like everyone else has the answers that you don't have and like you're very alone in the journey. Where do you think the role of mindfulness uh, comes into the job hunting experience? Mindfulness 
Well, let's start with the concept of mindfulness. I look at it as being food, and there's a great saying that you are what you eat, but you also are what you think. The way that we digest our thoughts is the same relationship with the way we digest food. The way that you think and the way that you process your thoughts also releases chemical compounds, and they can have long-term positive or detrimental effects depending on how much traffic there is with your thoughts and how you allow yourself to process them. And in times when you're in overwhelm and concern or anxiety about not getting work and, and having to apply for work all the time, that can compound those tracks of, of thought. So you feel like you're in some sort of groove that you can't get out of. So being able to de-escalate that is really important so that it's not about stopping your mindset because our thoughts are actually can be quite nourishing for us and insightful, but allowing ourselves to accept whatever we're experiencing in this moment. So even though that means that the present moment for you may be challenging, it may be frustrating, it may be concerning and worrying, if you can acknowledge that but not indulge it, then you can actually start to help yourself process it. And it's no quick fix, it's no magic elixir, but it is an anchor for us, just to help you have some space mentally, emotionally, as well as physically as well, Mm. which, a lot to do with that is your breath. You just articulated that so beautifully. And I think the idea of our thoughts being either nourishing or not is a wonderful way for people to think about the impact that our thoughts have on the way we feel and the way we behave as well. So many people, when they talk about mindfulness, say to me, I'm just rubbish at it. I can't do it. You know, that's, that's the kind of the catch cry. It's not for me. Help us debunk some of the myths of what actually mindfulness feels like when we're doing it. The wonderful thing about mindfulness is it's not an acquired knowledge. It's actually an innate ability. It's always there. And to be able to, particularly later in our lives, to turn around and say, let's watch your thoughts. Let's watch your your body and observe the experience or the, the emotions that you're feeling is really challenging because your default patterning has told you that that's a no-go zone, that's too hard, or you're not even aware of that. So to be able to change that default behavior is more than just one time a day or doing it, you know, just once and saying, yeah, I understand mindfulness. I like what you're saying around it's not something we do just once a day or twice a day. It becomes part of a mindset and part of an integral part of our being. But for people who are new to any kind of mindfulness, what do you think the best way is for them to start this process, to start to tune into a beginner's mind without the overwhelm of trying to get it right? And particularly, let's remember that we're talking about this in the context of job hunting. So how can I begin when I'm already feeling vulnerable? It's looking to be able to recognize where your perception of what is occurring is opposed or at odds to what the reality of the situation is. And that's where our emotional base comes into play. I think it was Marcus Aurelius said that fear is the estimate of the outcome of an event rather than the event itself. So what gentle mindfulness practices or awareness can do is start to help de-escalate that reaction of fear or that emotion of fear. And there's a great acronym for fear, false evidence appearing real. So the baby steps towards this, because you might have your CV 
and you've had interviews lined up and you think they've all gone really well, but you've still, you've still missed out. So to give yourself the space to be able to appreciate and accept what you're experiencing, it actually helps to look at the things that we do every day. Cleaning our teeth, eating our food, getting dressed, having a shower. Can you find 30 seconds, 60 seconds in that time that you're doing a daily chore of watching what it is, what that action is? One of the things that I actually really liked about your letter is you talked about how you're you're feeling more physically healthy than than ever before. So how have you how have you achieved that? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's having the luxury of time, I guess, and not having work to to feel stressed about. I've had heaps of time to focus on my body and how I'm feeling and you know what's going on and make sure I'm getting out into the fresh air and I've started walking every day, which getting me moving but also in terms of my mental health I use that time to just sort of step out and I'll listen to a podcast or you know listen to music and just kind of use that time to be by myself because I'm in a house with you know four other people so it's it's certainly um helped with how I've been feeling but also lost a few kilos which doesn't hurt that's probably been quite a positive to come out of all of this (laughs) It sounds like it's absolutely positive and I want to highlight, you know, the passage of time changes nothing. It's what we do with the time. So you're making choices to get outside every day. You're making choices around um, food and and exercise. I just invite you to reflect on that, that that's something that you are in control of and and it sounds like you're, you're doing really well and you're reaping the benefits. It's not happening to you, you're choosing it. I hadn't thought of it that way, but I guess this period was something that I didn't want to slip into the comfort of it. I wanted to make sure I still tried to keep a bit of a routine and made sure I got up every day and, you know, I'm not wearing proper clothes, but, you know, putting on my active wear and making sure I get out and do something and, you know, have a proper breakfast and stuff like that. It has helped me keep a sense of normality a little bit and I've almost sort of set a goal each day, whether it's okay, I'm going to go on one big walk today, or I've got a few things of personal admin to tick off. So I'm going to make sure I do those or whether it's one application, I'm going to write that and send it off. It's sort of trying to keep myself accountable a little bit. Was routine a part of your life um, while you were working? Yes. I'm, I'm quite an organized person. My boyfriend would call me a control freak. So, you know, I've got a written diary and I'm still writing things down, even if they're not work related or they're not, you know, particularly important things. I'm still writing like a to-do list and stuff like that and making sure I can cross it off and trying to, I guess, have those little moments of tick, I did that thing today or it helps with feeling like you've accomplished something, even if it's something small. So, yeah, I've certainly tried to keep that up. Let's talk about the difference between physical and mental practices. A lot of people will say, well, I go for a run every day. That's what I do for my well-being while I'm job hunting or when I'm not job hunting. And that's enough for me. What are your thoughts on that? Look, physical health is absolutely vital for us to be able to have a healthy relationship for ourselves and with other people. But there's such an intimate relationship also with our thoughts and with our energy that to bring those towards some sort of embodied relationship while we're exercising is also really important. So whilst you might go to the gym or go for a run and you feel great and fantastic from doing that, 
there's also a gap there in that the connection between the thought processing and your emotional base and your breath is kind of short-lived. It's only, it's finite in that time that you're doing that. And there's a bit of an afterglow afterwards, perhaps. Being able to exercise and be mindful of your breathing and the experience itself goes a lot way into getting to that space of embodiment rather than just feeling like it's I'm just doing this to keep myself fit and when we're able to connect with our breathing more effectively as well as harness our breath rather than feel like we need to control it that can shift your whole experience not just in exercising but it can also perhaps improve your potential physically emotionally and mentally This seems like a great time to remind you that Tamblin has actually recorded a mindfulness and breathing exercise, which we've included as a bonus episode in this series, so you can test out some of these ideas yourselves. So the other thing that came up for me listening to Lauren was the building blocks of well-being, which seemed so relevant to everything she was saying. There are five. The first is positive emotions, and we all need to feel some sense of joy or optimism or hope or lightness in our days. The next is engagement. The idea of engagement is that you feel connected to what you're doing. You're using your natural strengths and time passes you by. You're not clock watching and you're not thinking, am I being paid or how long will this go on for? The third one is having a sense of of meaning and really meaning is about tapping into something bigger than ourselves. The fourth one would be achievement, this idea that we set goals and meet goals and that's important to our sense of self and who we are when we achieve those things. And the last one's probably my favourite. It's around relationships and connection. To have a social wraparound, it's really important to continue those relational connections during the job hunt, even when your family and friends are driving you bonkers. Something you've talked about, Lauren, is feeling frustrated at times and agitated with people that you're living with. And I don't know anyone who, who would feel any different. When we have the luxury of choice to spend time with loved ones, um, that's very different to not having the choice. I think what we need to do in order to help manage that, because we can't move out, there are some things like, like in any challenging time that we can control and others we can't control. First is to acknowledge that it makes sense. The second is to find ways to talk about it. I think we're often fearful to talk about being agitated and frustrated with people we love because we fear it will land as criticism or it will create more conflict and we think I can't tolerate any more conflict. So we go into avoidance mode. And I think you talked about spending a lot of time in your room and wanting to kind of get away from, you know, you don't know what else to say to these people who you love anymore. You can't talk about the job hunt. In fact, it's another thing that a lot of people are talking to me about at this time. A lot of people have said, I feel boring. Does that kind of resonate? Yeah, having had this year and the way it's turned out, it's really hard and, like you said, quite suffocating. You know, it gets to the end of the day, it gets to dinner and we all sit down and it's a bit like, well, I've been with you all day, so I don't really have anything else to talk about. Have you had a conversation about how tricky it is? Have any of you put that on the table? We definitely have. My sisters and I are pretty, we're quite close in age, so we're all very good at sort of having those complex conversations. I think... It's a little bit harder with mum and dad and I think probably because they just don't maybe have the same understanding of it. You know, my sisters have recently entered the workforce and I think they similarly had a period where they were applying for jobs and not hearing back. So they're kind of quite well-versed in 
how that feels and it's not too distant from where they were, say, 12, 18 months ago. Whereas, you know, my mum and dad have been in jobs and have always been in jobs where they've been there for a really, really long time and neither of them have had to do the whole resume applying thing for a very long time. So I think it makes the conversation quite difficult because they perhaps are not understanding what I'm saying and then likewise I'm maybe not understanding sort of where they're coming from as well. What do you need your parents to understand that you don't think they understand? I don't know whether they fully they don't understand. I think what I what I get is those questions around, okay, well maybe, you know, when are you going to sort of take a job or take any job? And I think they don't mean it in this way perhaps, but it comes across to me in a way that I guess that freeloading conversation again, you know, when are you going to just take something because you're an adult living at home and you're not working and we're sort of supporting you through this. And I think that's by asking those questions, that's what I'm interpreting because maybe I'm feeling a little bit embarrassed or defensive about it. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like it's possible there are some assumptions being made there and conversations that haven't been had because they feel too tricky and it's already a bit loaded. So you're sort of choosing to sort of sweep that under the rug and I hope it'll go away. Yeah, that's probably quite a fair assumption. (laughs) So let me ask that question again. What do you need your parents to know that they don't know at this point? I think I need them to know that I'm really, really trying hard. And I think that's probably the crux of it. I think because whenever you feel a little bit like I guess it's being put upon you that maybe you're maybe you're not trying so much hard or you know just take any job and it's sort of I I guess you know I haven't been offered any job so it gets a little bit like you know I am really trying I'm not turning down roles because I'm being offered things that I don't want you know I am I'm I'm conscious of the fact I'm living in their house and I'm, you know, they're supporting me through this period, which is I'm super grateful for. And so I think that's probably the biggest thing that I'd like them to understand is that I'm really, really trying. Yeah, I can hear two messages there. One is please recognise my effort and the other is thank you. Yeah. So what would it be like to have a conversation where you address those two points so that the elephant's not hanging in the room? It would be, I think it would be good. I think it would probably open it up a little bit and there maybe be any awkwardness around having a conversation to say, well, how, how's, it, how's things going? Because I think maybe they also feel a bit awkward to ask me in case, you know, I'm not feeling good about it or I might get upset or what have you. Yeah, I think it would just open things up a bit. I can hear a lot of gratitude and a lot of love and you need them to recognise your efforts. And it doesn't matter if we're 6, 16, 26, 36 or 86. I think it's important to most of us that our efforts are recognised and often we want our parents to particularly recognise the efforts, not the achievement per se, but the effort and you're putting in truckloads at this time. Being able to use mindfulness to create space in your thinking is incredibly valuable. We know it's not easy when you're starting out. And I know some of you listening will say this is too hard and it feels like it's not working. But it's such a powerful tool to use when you're feeling overwhelmed. And when we're feeling overwhelmed, we so often lose our sense of what we know to be true. We ask everyone else for answers and solutions. And this is the one last thing I really wanted to raise with Lauren because she didn't quite know what her next move should be. She asked lots of people for advice and help, which is a great idea, until it isn't. Sometimes, depending on the trajectory of the job hunt and where we're at, 
we can ask for input from so many people. And, and that's a really useful strategy. Otherwise, we're just fishing in our own head. But when we lose track of our own inner compass and then we ask so many people externally, it can be overwhelming because there's so many voices in the mix. And I think ours becomes the quietest and theirs becomes the loudest and your head just starts to spin. So I'm hoping partly through this conversation that it dials your your microphone up a little bit and you might become more selective, not in who you listen to, but in the in the conversations you're having with individuals. So every person you come into contact with doesn't drown out what you know in your own inner knowing of yourself. Yeah, it's something that I definitely struggled with sort of early on. I think starting my my job hunt, I was very um very enthusiastic and just started to sort of fire off, you know, the resume that I've had for years and updated it and sort of I've been lucky enough to move from jobs due to being recommended by somebody or knowing somebody else and so it's always been relatively easy for me and so I sort of in a misguided way, thought I would, you know, snap something up pretty quickly. It didn't happen that way. And so that was when I did start to reach out and, and you know, ask my network of former colleagues and friends and, you know, who are in the same industry as me and, you know, who work in various areas within comms. And the advice I was getting was, I mean, I, I was so thankful that people were helping me and offering their advice, but it did start to become overwhelming and add to that confusion. So I had four or five different pieces of advice that were all conflicting and then you just sort of, you know, throw your hands up and go, oh, my goodness, well, I don't even know where to start now. So I had to sort of sit down and and go, okay, well, what am I going to do here? Do I try and muddle through or, you know, do I do I look and, and maybe get some help? And so, you know, I, I did reach out and get my resume done for me, which I think turned out to be a godsend. Yeah, because the other thing you've also just said there is you you actually have never really job hunted. No. And that might be the experience of some of our listeners as well, that this is now a process that you only have read about and seen in movies. <laughs> and now you're thinking, how do I do this? What do I do? And we don't come out of the womb knowing how to job hunt. No. So um, getting some expert advice, I think it's a great idea and having someone help you formulate your resume and target it to areas that are of interest to you and to employers is a really smart move. But before you do that, or perhaps in that process, you, you want to be clear about who it is that you're targeting, who it is that you want to work for. And I think that's, as we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, you were kind of losing your own voice. I think you you know more about yourself and what you're capable of and what you've got to offer than you realise. And it makes sense when we have a knock to our confidence that we sort of think, oh, no, no, have I, I've got that wrong. Or we, we second guess ourselves. There's a level yeah. of self-doubt. So tune back into that. Any thoughts from you? Any reflections or particular takeaways from our conversation? Well, I mean, a lot, but I mean, thank you so much. I certainly think dialing down the noise and, and getting a bit of clarity is something that, you know, whether it's going to be on those morning walks or through mindfulness, I think I can certainly implement. And yeah, just, I guess I start having those conversations and stop assuming because it's not helping. <laughs> That's for sure. Interestingly, Tamblin says that he views being able to teach mindfulness as a privilege because of how it allows him to share his experience and enthusiasm to create a ripple effect through building community. I think for anyone this year, the idea of community is such a powerful one. 
And no matter how much your family and friends annoy you, being able to talk to them and work through uncomfortable situations is a useful strategy, particularly when we need support as we look for work. For more resources to help with your job hunting journey, visit the Seek Career Advice website. If you're finding this podcast particularly challenging, Beyond Blue also has a range of online resources and a support line that you can reach 24 hours a day, seven days a week on 1300 22 46 36. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, I'm Sabina Reid and this has been Seek Your Mind, a series on wellbeing while job hunting proudly brought to you by Seek.